Well, if you guys, uh, if everybody will turn in their Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. I am going to be your sole teacher tonight. And super excited about that in the back left. No, um, very grateful to be here. And uh, really to, to go over um, and just have kind of a neat kind of living room home Bible study with you all. Um, uh, you guys kind of know me. A lot of you know me by now. I've been here at the church for 28 years, and um, that's quite a long time. And uh, I, I tend to be pretty down to earth and kind of one of those kind of, hey, how's it going kind of guys. And there's my mom over there, hey, mom. And, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And so it, it's, it might feel a little bit like you're, we're hanging out and we should have a fireplace going on today. It's, you know, I'm not so in, into the eloquent words or giving you a sermon of, uh, of some eloquence. That's not what I'm hoping to bring uh, tonight uh, or any time I'm up here. It, it, it's simply just to share the Bible and uh, the things that I've learned from the Word of God and, and share that with you. And, and uh, that certainly is impacted my life. I think of this chapter, Revelation chapter 4, and I think of uh, listening to Chuck Missler teach this, you know, when I was in my teens, and, and, um, and just being blown away by um, that guy's understanding of the Bible, and, and of course listening to Pastor Chuck Smith and Mike McIntosh, and all the guys that I grew up listening to teach this passage. Um, so it's always really weird to be up here teaching it myself, you know, and, and this is a real... Uh, kind of change in our uh, kind of the the vision of where we're going now in the book of Revelation. So I'm going to read a little bit of it, and then we'll we'll kind of start uh, expounding on it. Um, now it says, after these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, "Come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place." After this. Now, we just got done the letters to the seven churches. And you all, we took a lot of time to go over those, but you all saw a pattern with those. There was, it was Jesus's, if you will, kind of his, his whether it was encouragement or whether there was some admonishment to the churches. Um, but he, he laid it out. And at the end of each one, it said, he, uh, you know, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And, and now we see something really different. We see a, a, a shift in the book. It starts off with after these things. So whenever you see after these things, after what things? Well, we just got done the letters to the churches. Now, this is an important kind of understanding. Um, if you haven't studied the whole Bible, I hope to kind of help you out with this. The Bible talks about periods of time, and God works in periods of time in special ways. Now, are you with me? And he does it through, a lot of times, covenants, ag agreements, a covenant with Noah. What was that covenant? I will not destroy the earth again. There's a covenant with Abraham, Abraham, right? That you might remember that one, that through Abraham's seed, the whole world would be blessed through one offspring of Abraham, the entire world. There was a covenant that was made with him. And these covenants continue on, and God works in special ways through his covenants with his people. Well, we're getting to a place in the prophetic grand scheme of things, meaning if you look at the Bible just in, in a timeline, you see that there's these early covenants with Noah and Abraham and King David and all these what we call Old Testament covenants. And then we get into the New Testament, and of course you guys are familiar with the New Testament covenant that Jesus had, the, the, what we call the, the Last Supper, and Jesus enters into a covenant with his people and things like that. But there's different times, there's different seasons where God is working in different ways through people. And I hope you just understand that in a broad sense right now. 
Because we see this and it says, after the time of the churches, after these things, what things? Again, the, the, the churches. Now we've been taught over the years that there's this idea of that there's a church age. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. God worked in Israel in times past. We see that in the Old Testament. And then God does something very interesting in the new covenant, in the New Testament with Jesus Christ, where he offers his body as an atonement, not only for Israel, Jesus is the faithful Israelite who atones for, the, for his people, his, his, his own people that have fallen away from Yahweh, but also we learn that it's also for the whole world, that Jesus dies for the whole world, including us, including non-Jewish people. And it starts this new age during this amazing festival that's in, found in the book of Acts, this time of Pentecost, where uh, this amazing, there was the Passover celebration that the Israel would celebrate, and then 50 days after that, they would celebrate Pentecost. And during this event of Pentecost in the book of Acts, there was this amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit onto all kinds of people that have been traveling from all over the area of the Middle East into Israel. And there's a, there was this outpouring of the Holy Spirit on just all kinds of people. And it really started this amazing evangelistic work and kind of new revival that Jesus was still alive and he's at work through his spirit, not only in the lives of Jewish people, but in the lives of non-Jewish people too. Now, I, I say all that just to help you understand that God works in different ways in different times. And this starts us off by saying, after these things, after this time of the church, so we're seeing now a change happening, he says, I looked and behold, standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me. Now, if you flip over to Revelation again, chapter 1, just flip back over there, um, you'll see that in verse 10 it said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, John talking here, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. So we shouldn't be surprised by what we just read of this first voice which I heard which was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here, because it's already happened in the book. But it says, come up here and I will show you the things which must take place after this, after this time, this church time. Now, follow me here. Turn over to Revelation chapter 1 and let's look at verse 19 and kind of just go back to what our outline is of the book. See, Revelation began with its own outline. And here it is. John, write the things which you have seen. What was the things that, what, what did he see? He saw Jesus. Jesus appeared to him in a mighty way, the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to the feet, girded about his chest. He has hair was white like wool, like snow. Eyes were like a flame of fire. That's all in chapter one. And then it says, and the things which are, these are the things that he just gets done writing, the letters to the seven churches. Jesus dictates, or, you know, or gives these letters to John. And then he says, and then the things which will take place, and here's our word that we see in chapter four, after this. After this. So after, so we see the outline is the things which are Jesus, the things which will take place um, are the things which you have seen Jesus, the things which are the letters to the churches, and then the things that will take place after this. And what I'm saying, and the reason why I talked about the church age a little bit, is because Paul in his writing in the book of Romans chapter 11 says, I want to tell you guys a little mystery that hardness has happened to Israel in part until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Interesting. There's an age to where the Gentiles will come in and then there will be a fullness, like a fullness, like you got full. 
right? Like a fullness of people coming to Jesus Christ. And then it says, and after that time, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Then it says, and all Israel will be saved. And so this timeline that we're getting in Israel or in the book of Revelation is really uh, kind of a little summary of what we see so much throughout the Bible, that there's these ages, there's these times and ways in which God is working in the lives of his people through his covenants. God, in the church age, there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. In the, in the New Testament, you don't see a distinction between Jew and Gentile, for it says that we are all one in Christ in the book of Galatians. We are all one in Christ. It says there is neither Jew nor Gentile. We have, we're one in Jesus Christ. But in the Old Testament, there's a distinction between Jew and Gentile. And from here on in the book of Revelation, we are going to go back to a, a real Old Testament feel. We're going to start seeing distinctions between Jews and Gentiles. We're no longer going to hear of the church anymore in the book. The church is gone. John is a representative, no doubt, of the church age. He walked with Christ. Talk about being in the church age. And we, hit, we get a real interesting picture in Revelation 4. What is it? He's told to come up here. John, come up. And a lot of commentators look at this and go, man, is this a picture of the rapture in the book of Revelation? Could this be just that little subtle hint of it. Maybe not so subtle, right, with this idea of after this. After this, John, come on up, and I'm going to show you what must take place after. Now, what we're going to get into, if you, want, if you know your Bible pretty well, and you know a lot of the prophetic calendar of the Bible, because there is a prophetic calendar of the Bible. The Bible is written, you know, 66 books over 1,600 years, three different continents, over 40 different authors, and yet it is a link puzzle. It is beautifully put together in mind-blowing ways. We're going to get into Daniel's seven, last seven-year period of time on the planet, which you guys know is the tribulation period. That's where we're going after these things. But before we get into this last seven years of time on the planet, we see that John is told, he's told, come up here, ascend up here. I'm going to show you something. What's, what's going to take place after this, after the things, the church, and this isn't the only place where this kind of event takes place, even though this one I think is a little special and distinct, but Ezekiel chapter 8, Ezekiel is caught up by his locks. It says by the Spirit, it's really radical. Dude had some crazy dreadlocks, man. By the way, this is one of those chapters that helps you understand something really important. The way we look at the world is so different the way God does. And the way we look at things is so different from the way God sees things. It's, this is one of those chapters that kind of opens us up to a reality that we might not be aware of, but is very, very real. You know? And so this has happened in, in, in before in the Bible, this idea of being caught up. And I would have you just look at Ezekiel chapter 8. Now, I like where it says, I will show you things which must take place after this. And I love what the famous commentator Sean Richards wrote. And he writes some great stuff. But he, he, he talks about this word must. And he says, must makes an imperative statement. It's an imperative statement. It needs to happen for a reason. While the process is scary to a lot of people, it wasn't one that Jesus wasn't willing to go through first. It must happen. 
he uses the same language to emphasize the necessity of the cross. So the reference here is Matthew chapter 26. We're looking at this word must. Now notice what Jesus says in Matthew 26, 52 through 54. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen like this? Same kind of push, right? When Jesus was going to the cross, he says, it must happen. The prophet, God's prophetic calendar will happen. It must happen. God is a sovereign God and he has a purpose and a plan and nothing is out of his contact, his touch, his intelligence. Everything is, he is right there on it. You know, now from our perspective, things look chaotic. But boy, it is not. And we're gonna see that right now. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Now when it says in the spirit that shouldn't be something that's a shock or anything weird to us because it obviously it's a reference to what already was said in chapter 1 verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice that of a trumpet. By the way, the trumpet is another real rapture statement, right? If you're not familiar with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the real famous passage on the, the rapture, um, it speaks of a trumpet, the trumpet call of God, and those who are dead in Christ will rise. And then we who and are alive and remain will be caught up together with Christ in the air, and we will meet the Lord in the clouds and be with him forever. Amen. Encourage one another with these words, Paul says to the Thessalonian church, right? So we see that trumpet too. So you can see how people put that together and go, wow, that's, how, that's very rapture-like in that section, right? And so immediately he's in the spirit. Of course, I think I would be too if I was caught up like that. <laughs> I think I'd be immediately in the spirit as well. The idea of in the spirit too is your mind is on the things of God. You know, and there's one thing about this passage, chapter four, it's really a focus, getting your mind back focused on God. Before we get into this seven-year period known as the tribulation and all the things that are gonna happen and the fulfillment of Daniel's 490-week prophecy and all that great stuff, you know, all the amazing stuff, we get these two chapters right before it. And it's revealing something to us so that we can bear with the rest of the book. Does that make sense? We got to have some encouragement that something's, so, there's a plan here going on. And we're seeing just who is on the throne here in this chapter. It's great. So John is here in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Now, when we hear of thrones, I can't help but think of so many Old Testament passages that deal with God sitting on the throne. I think of Isaiah chapter six. I mean, a very famous passage that talks about, um, I seen the Lord seated on the throne, exalted, the train of his robe fills the temple with glory, right? You guys have heard that, maybe sang that song before, you know? But, you know, God sits on a, on a throne and it's in heaven, his dwelling place. And when you study heaven, of course, there's three ideas of heaven. There's the sky, there's the atmosphere, and then there's heaven, the dwelling place of God. You know, and this is obviously speaking of that dwelling place of God, heaven. You know, but sometimes biblically speaking, the word heaven can, you have to see the context of how the word heaven is being used, because it could just be in sky. You know, you might read a Bible passages talking about the heavens, like where the birds fly kind of thing. So you kind of got to let the context kind of define what we're talking about with that. But here, it's definitely the place where this throne is set. Um, very, very intense, I would say. And it says, and one sat on the throne. And it says, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone. 
and in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. I can't tell you how many Old Testament references are in this chapter. It is just unreal. I mean, we could spend all night Hours just going, flipping through our Bibles and going, this is what this means, this is what this means, this is what it first meant. And, and I would really want you to think about that. Uh, I'll try to do my best to break down some of the kind of basics with it, and you guys could go from there. But here we get a very common picture of what people see when they see the throne. Of God. Now, I'm going to turn over to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 1. And I have always enjoyed this book a ton. But I'm going to start in chapter 1, and I'm going to just go look at, let's look at verse 26. And in Ezekiel 1, which is in the Old Testament, it's one of the big prophets. So a really big book. It's definitely a book for Bo. It's definitely one of those books where you read and you just go, this is a hardcore book, man. This one's crazy. I mean, it's super interesting. Now, look at verse 26. And above the firmament, and let me just tell you what's going on here, is there's these interesting living creatures that Ezekiel sees. Bizarre-looking things. I'll talk about it a little more later on. But it says, above the firmament, over their heads, these living creatures... It says, there was a likeness of a throne in appearance like a sapphire stone. Is anybody into the gem and mineral shows anyway? If anybody's been to those, you might, might have more of an idea of kind of what is going on here. But the point that I'm getting at here is even in Old Testament passages, when it talks about thrones and the throne of God particularly, we see that there's these descriptions of these gems. Um, uh, And this appearance is like a sapphire stone on the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Also from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire, light, all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around, like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy rainy day. Here, interesting, we're going to see this word rainbow come up in Revelation chapter 4. We're going to see these different kind of descriptions being used again. And so these, these visions that people had in the Old Testament are really much verified when we get into the New, T- New Testament in Revelation chapter 4. And so it, it goes on like this. It says this it was an appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And that's important. That's an important line in Ezekiel. Meaning what this is, is it's, it's showing the glory of God. Now, when an atom bomb goes off, the glory of the atom bomb meaning the amount of energy that is happening must be incredibly massive compared to your light bulb that you're turning on in your house. But yet the same kind of physics is probably being used there. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a, a physics guy, but when, when the Bible says God is light, And then it uses all these different rocks and these rainbows and lightning and, you know, lights and fire. Man, it makes me go, man, I'd like to be a physicist right about now. You know, to understand a little more of the energy power that is a part of God, that is God. And when the glory of God is seen or described, it's always in these incredibly massively science, I mean, something where you need to have a real scientific mind, it seems like, to be able to just grasp the the amazing magnitude of it all, you know? And like when I listen to a physicist talk about light, I kind of go, wow, dude, that's pretty amazing. Like, what's going on? Um, And so the point is, is that 
This stuff all has been reiterated before in the Old Testament, very similar descriptions of what we see. Now, Jasper and Sardis has a significance in another way as well, Those ja- the, specifically the Jasper and the Sardius stone. And that is on the chest plate of the high priest of Israel. Israel had a priesthood. And they had a high priest who wore a chest plate and it had gems in it. It had these stones in it. And there was, they, they had them listed out. One of them started, the first one was Reuben and it started there. And it was, by the way, it was, a, it was the Sardius stone represented Reuben. The last stone on the breastplate of the high priest was the Jasper stone. It represented Benjamin the youngest of the sons of Jacob, whose Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And it was, it's kind of neat because the high priest, what did the high priest have on his heart? The people, right? And it's kind of interesting that when you see, that when John sees the throne of God and he describes it and he says, and he knows these rocks. I mean, I, I shouldn't say rocks. They're probably not rocks in definition. But again, I'm not a gem and mineral guy. I don't know the exact name for him. But when he... When he, when he saw these stones, he, in his mind, I'm sure he thought, oh, Reuben, Benjamin. You know, he's a Jew. You know, oi, I know what that is. You know, it's like, you know, before, before Yahweh, before God who sits on the throne, guess who's on their heart, on God's heart? Israel. Israel. Zechariah says Israel is the apple of God's eye. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And we, so we, we're getting a, a, a paradigm shift, I, I think, in the book, where we're going from the time of the church, and we're going to now start focusing back on Israel. And we're going to start seeing this take place. So it's interesting, those two stones that are mentioned, Jasper, white stone, Sardius, red stone, Exodus 39, you could take a look at that list that's there of the stones. Very cool. That's Exodus chapter 39. Very interesting. And there was a rainbow around the throne. Now, I want to share something with you that I find very cool, and that's in Revelation chapter 21, verse 11. So I'm going to jump ahead. And just as there's all this illumination with God, we look into Revelation chapter 21, and we, we, we get this picture of Jesus' bride, his wife. Very cool, right? I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I, you, 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 you look at verse 10 of chapter 21 of Revelation. It says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city of the holy Jerusalem. So who's the bride? It's the great city the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. And we'll go over that more. Now, but what I want you to notice is verse 11. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone clear as crystal. I love the idea that the bride of Jesus bears the image of God. It's like the glory of God that's, that is being shown to us, illuminated to us by all these descriptions. God doesn't just keep that to himself, but what does he do? He gives it. He shares his glory. Now, in, in, and it's not his intrinsic glory. The Bible says that God does not share his glory with another, meaning God is God in a special way. It's not that they become God. Does that make sense? But in a sense, they reflect God. Now, this starts sounding a lot like the New Testament. When you come to Jesus Christ and you start beholding Jesus Christ, you start looking, you start fixing your gaze upon Jesus, what happens to your life? All of a sudden, you start thinking more like Jesus. You start wanting to live like Jesus. In 2 Corinthians, passages like this come alive. 
317, 2 Corinthians. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by what? The spirit of the Lord. We are being transformed into the image of Christ. And it's amazing. It's such a beautiful idea that God would share with you and share with me that. That he would love you so much and love me so much that he would say, you know what? The the glory that I have, I want to share with you. That doesn't happen on this planet, don't it? What do we do as human beings? We hoard our glory. When we have glory, we want it for ourselves. We don't want to share the secret. We want, we want to have it all. But God is beautiful in this way that God's spirit resides in us and is actually transforming our lives into the image of Jesus Christ. So, The fulfillment of that is seen in the book of Revelation chapter 21, the bride of Christ, this beautiful picture of uh, the new Jerusalem that now shines like what? A stone, like these stones. Just as we see this description of God's throne having these stones, so we see that also the bride of Christ is also has this shining about him, this beautiful reflection of the Father that's in them. So, so neat. And so um, we move on. Rainbow, of course, can be a descri- uh, talked about, a reminder, of course, of the covenant between Noah. Um, uh, but again, light, illumination, physics, <laughs> if you will. And, um, and then around the, uh, the appearance is like an emerald, and that's green. And I'm not sure what that reference is. You might want to look that up and see what maybe emerald, where that is in the Bible. Maybe there's a, a neat little insight there. But uh, I even looked at commentator Sean, and he, he said he didn't know either. And I thought, if Sean doesn't know, then hey, it, we don't know, you know, because Sean's pretty on top of it, man. Um, so it says, um, now around the throne were 24 thrones and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes and they had crowns of gold on their head. Now, first thing I want to point out is location. And this is the idea of around the throne. So we're looking at the centrality here of the throne of God. And this, there's an application here for us too. Is Christ the center, right? Is God the center? You know, is everything in your life centered around the throne? Or is it on the throne, right? And those are the questions we always have to ask ourselves. But here we see in heaven that around the throne, in this heavenly picture of the Father, we're going to get to the Son, by the way, in chapter 5. It's going to be cool. So we're getting there. And, uh, but we see that there was 24 other thrones. Now, I, I want to share a passage in the book of Daniel again in the Old Testament. And again, when I think of thrones, I think of Daniel as well. And I think of Daniel chapter 7. Daniel receives visions as well. And he is a prophet as well. And in verse 9, it says, I watched till thrones were put in place. Not just one throne, but what? Thrones, plural, were put in place. And the Ancient of Days was seated. Interesting. Thrones are in place, plural. The Ancient of Days, another title for God, is seated. This position of power, of course. And his garment was as white as snow. And so we see that there's a plurality of thrones here also in Revelation chapter 4. There is around the main throne, 24 thrones. And on those thrones, I saw 24 presbyter, elders, right? The Presbyterians. 
You guys heard Presbyterian church, right? The elder church. Now, I'm not saying there's Presbyterians that are sitting on, you know, <laughs> um, people from the Presbyterian church, but that's where the word pres, you know, Presbyterian comes from the word elder. That's where we get that word elder, you know. So you've heard of Episcopalian churches? Anybody heard of an Episcopalian church? That means overseer, right? That's overseer. So people that go to a Presbyterian church believe in elder-run churches. People that go to Episcopalian church believe in overseer-run churches, and that's why they're distinct and separated and divided because of those distinctions. But here we have it from the word of God that on the throne there are elders sitting there, okay? And it says they're clothed in white robes and they had crowns of gold on their heads. White robes, we see, always has this idea of purity. Um, We see crowns. This is Stephanos in the Greek. So this isn't the crown of a king. This is the crown of someone who runs a race and runs to receive the prize, right? Remember, Paul talks about this in the book of Romans. I'm pretty sure it's chapter nine at the end of the book. He says, hey, I run, I run to run my race well. You know, who likes anybody going a little, you know, halfway? You know what I mean? Have you ever, like, if you watched a track event and someone got on the track and they just, you know, the, the whatever went off, right? A mark set go. And the person was just kind of like, I'm just cruising, you know, and he's looking at everybody in the stands waving. You'd be like, or what if a football player, like a quarterback hike, and he just kind of went back a little halfway and just like, hey, I'm going to take my time. Dude, he's going to get drilled, right? And Paul says, man, I'm running this race hardcore, right? I'm going, I'm going after, I'm running my Christian walk great. I'm, I'm running, I'm thinking about my life. I'm looking at what I need to take care of, what I need to change in my life, what I need to do so that I might win other people, that I might save people. I'm focused on saving people and how can I live a life that helps benefit saving other people? And hopefully our minds are like that, right? You're not so caught up in your stuff that you're forgetting the big call of a Christian and that is to minister to other people and love other people and learn how to share Christ with other people right? And so you're always looking at your life. Hey, maybe I need to downsize. Maybe my life's all about this house, man. And why do I have such a nice house, man? It's like, maybe I need to get rid of this thing. And maybe God's calling you to do something like that. I don't know. You know, maybe he's calling you to downsize and use that money differently. I don't know. But I'm saying the Christian life is always looking at things in our life and going, man, what do we need to do, God? your spirit work in my life. And these people had crowns. They ran the race, you know? Now, who are these 24 elders? We get a little insight in chapter five. Go over to chapter five real quick and let's just jump ahead. And it says in verse, um, let's look at verse eight. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. They fall down before Jesus. Okay, that's the lamb. Each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, singing. So this is the song that the 24 elders sing. Now, they sing it along with the four living creatures, but the 24 elders are are singing this tune. It says, You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Isn't that interesting? The reason why it's interesting is because if you turn over to just 1 Peter, chapter 2, just a few pages back from Revelation. So you don't even have to go that far. You just flip maybe 10 pages over and you're in 1 Peter. And you go to chapter 2, like I said, this is going to be like a living room Bible study, huh? Anyway, look at 1 Peter chapter 2. It says in um, verse 4, we are coming to Jesus as to a Living stone, interesting, that word stone comes up again, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. But, and you also as living stones, isn't that cool? 
we've been made into living stones. People that reflect Christ are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Isn't that cool? Have you ever thought of yourself as a priest? You know, priest Dave. You know, priest, you know, Bo. You know, have you ever thought about it? Priestess Marcia over there. (laughs) She's like, what? You know, it's kind of interesting, right? That, you know, this idea of priest, you know, that all of a sudden we're being built up. We become a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Just as the priest in the Old Testament would offer up these sacrifices to God, it says now that we offer up sacrifices. What are our sacrifices? Well, they're not animal sacrifices. The book of Hebrews tells us that we actually offer up a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. You know, that our sacrifices are sacrifices of praise and glory to God, our adoration. You know, we're blown away by him. Man, God's awesome. God's amazing. You think that was awesome? Man, my God created everything. You know, what are you into? My God could do it a lot better. <laughs> you know, that kind of, you know, we, we're blown away. Now, if you, in Second Peter, or First Peter chapter 2, If we went on a little more in chapter 2, it reiterates this idea in verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Isn't that cool? A holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Very cool, right? The people in the Old Testament that could be before God were the priests, Those were the people that can work in the tabernacle, in this place. Those are the only people that could enter into the presence of God, was actually the high priest. What God has done is he's made everybody a priest. That's what he's done throughout the Bible. Isn't that weird? In the Old Testament, God wanted the whole nation of Israel to be a a nation of priests. But it went south. And through the Messiah, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we all can draw near now to the Father. The word sacrifice, atonement, uh, means to draw near. We are all now brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, we now are all priests. We can all come boldly to the throne of God. You don't need some, some other person to pray to some other person to, you know, deflect something to another person and then you finally maybe can get it to God. You can come boldly. You are a royal priesthood. Now, another thing this chapter does, I think, in our life is it, it helps you understand your victory. It helps you understand that you have an amazing God. And before God... God is an amazing creator, but before God are 24 elders. They represent the church. Let me just say that right now. They rep- and there's a reason why I think the number 24 is used. You can look at 1 Chronicles chapter 24 for your study, and you might get some insights into why the number 24 is used as a summation of all of the modern, the church that are now priests, all of us have this priesthood. But what it does is it helps you understand that anything that you are struggling with in life, you fight from victory, not for it. You fight from victory. And that makes all the difference in the world. See, everybody struggles in many ways. Jesus' brother said that in the book of James. We all struggle in many ways, he says. And he says we all stumble in many ways. And that's true. We all do. But there's a difference. There's many people I've worked with that are in constant depression because of their turmoil or whatever they're going through, their struggle, their sin, their, their repetitive sin, their constant struggling with something, not just struggling with it, but giving into it. 
And they, they get so depressed, they get to places where they go, God doesn't love me. Like, God is, I'm not a part of his kingdom. There's no way God loves me. There's no way God's with me. Look at what I've done. I'm horrible. I'm blah, 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 blah. And they're done. It's like, you know, they, they cannot win the battle because they ain't fighting from victory. They're not fighting from a place of positionally right with God. But when you know you're positionally right with God, you're saved not by your works, but by faith. You're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You are saved by simply putting your trust in the lamb who died in your stead. Then you battle things much different. Instead, you go, hey, this is something I get to work on. I get to work on it. Praise God. See, I get to, I get to work on it. The anger issue I have, I get to work on that. The jealousy issue I have, I get to work on that. You know, whatever, the lustful inclinations you have, I get to work on that. I get to work on those things. Why? Because I'm a child of God. See, see how different that is? I already have, I already am seated in heavenly places, the book of Ephesians says. From God's perspective, he already sees the church there. In this stage in Revelation, he sees the church right before him. Isn't that amazing? He sees us before him. And this is why in the book of Colossians chapter three, it says, fix uh, Colossians three, verses one and two. It says, set your heart and your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Get your mind off of the horizontal but get it on where you really are living, and that is with God. See, from God's perspective, we're already there. Isn't that crazy? God who lives outside of time, matter, and space. That's another physics mind blower for you. But, you know, he he already sees us there. That's why Ephesians chapter 1 does declare that we are already seated. We're already seated. It says they were seated in heavenly places. What is seated, when, it, when you're sitting down, what does that mean? <sighs> I'm done. Right? It's done. Isn't that cool? It's already done, man. Your salvation's already done. It's already a done deal. We never had to work for it to begin with. It's all a work of grace that the Lamb of God gives to us. And when you realize that, then you're not it's, not, it's okay to confess. You start confessing your sins. You start going, yeah, this is, this is my junk. Why? Because I get to. I get to confess. Why? Because I don't care what you think about me anymore. Bo has a ministry called Running Light Ministries. I don't know where the banner is now. But most people know that Bo, you know, Bo has a ministry about Running Light Ministries. It's, it's about sex stuff. And that's, you know, that's, been, I started that ministry, what, 15, 16 years ago. I get to do that ministry. I get to work on me in that ministry. I get to work with the other ministers in that ministry. See, it's a get to. We get to work on our holiness, our holy life, because we have victory. You know, you might come up to me and you might go, Bo, you shouldn't be a pastor. And all I would say to you is, you know what, amen. I would just say, you're right. Who is worthy for such a task? It's not me. It's certainly not me. You know? That's what it means, though, this passage means to us. 24 elders before the throne. Very cool. What is their song? You've redeemed us. You redeemed us, man, by your blood. So remember that. We, I'm going to end there. I didn't even get through maybe half of the chapter, you know. But uh, there's so much more. And, um, you know, I, I can't wait to hear what Sean, Peter, and Scott have to say about this chapter as well because it certainly is a glorious one for sure. But uh, let's end on that. I think the Holy Spirit um, gave us some things to think about tonight for sure. And let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. It is a mind blower in so many ways, Father. We come before your word trembling in many ways as uh, your scriptures tell us that, uh, Lord, you are in your holy temple and that you are high and seated up on your, uh, seated on your throne. 
And Lord, who are we? Uh, just so we are people that are, uh, have feet made of clay. But you have raised us up, and we thank you so much that you have given us a place, a position. You have given us thrones, Lord, where you tell us in your scripture that we will actually one day judge angels. And Lord, you give us just so much. All we can do is throw it back and give it back to you. And Lord, anything that we have received from you, Lord, we, we bring before you and we thank you so much. But we want to give you honor and we want to praise you. We want to adore you. Uh, I pray for everybody who's here and those online that they would really hold fast to that idea that that they are seated in heavenly places, that, Lord, from your perspective, your people are safe. Lord, that we are in your hands, that nothing can take us out, and we can deal with our anxiety and the stress. And, Lord, we can lay those things just down at your feet and uh, just let go of all of that yuck that's in us, Lord. Confess those sins before you. And... Uh, Lord, be reminded again to walk by faith and not by sight. And so, Father, we have many things that uh, are on our hearts tonight. We have many friends that need a healing touch. And we ourselves need to not just hear from you, but we need to feel from you. We need to have an experience with you a relationship with you. We pray that you would do that work tonight as we go home, as we seek your face in our closets, Lord, as we pray and lift up our brothers and sisters that are in need. Uh, we pray, Father, that just as you, Lord, intercede for us, you live to intercede for us, we pray that we would live to intercede for our brothers and sisters as well. And in so doing so, shine your glory your goodness. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.